Well, my family, uh, we got to enjoy a great Christmas vacation in Colorado again this year. It was a, it was a full crowd. Uh, we had everybody there. There was my family, my parents, my two sisters and their families, and all three of us went forth and uh, multiplied and filled the earth. We are, I think my parents have 11 grandkids uh, between the three of us, and, uh, and we even brought the uh, to-be son-in-law along to see if he'd get the family stamp of approval. So there, there was 20 of us all together uh, there for Christmas, so peace and quiet was not a part of Christmas, uh, but, but a good time was. We, we had a great time. We enjoy a lot of different things that we get to do there. Love hiking and, and uh, climbing. I have a brother-in-law, Scott, that uh, lo- loves to hike and climb. We do this a lot. We drag our, our kids along with us. And uh, we, matter of fact, we went on a, a hike, a climb the, the second day we were there, which is a little bit challenging because you haven't quite acclimated to the lack of oxygen. We started a, a hike at about 8,500 feet and, and went up to 9,500 feet uh, to a place called Teddy's Teeth. It's Teddy Roosevelt National Park. And so this place is called Teddy's Teeth. I've got a picture here of uh, me and my kids up at the, the top of it. Now, what you don't see in this picture is you don't see that it's minus five degrees. You don't see that there's no oxygen. Uh, you can't tell in this particular picture that the wind's blowing about 30 to 40 miles an hour. So we didn't stay up there a long time. As a matter of fact, I've got another picture uh, of Mary Beth there in the purple coat in the front. It's a horrible picture of her, so I didn't put it up because she's here today. If she'd gone back to school, though, you'd have gotten to see it. Maybe we'll see it in a couple of weeks. But the wind's blowing so hard, her ponytail's pointing straight out her head. That's how hard the, 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 the wind is blowing. And uh, so, you know, when you add up all these conditions, uh, you know, that can create for a good bit of whining. On, on the way up the mountain. Uh, and, you know, whether you, you it, can, it can be that in the summer or the winter. It's certainly harder in the winter. Uh, and so we, we do this all the time. And so we whine all the time. And uh, I, my, my kids know I have a standard response when we start whining on, on the way up the mountain. Now, they will tell you, I'll just tell you right now, because Colin came out after the last service and told me that I did more whining this time than, than they did. And there, there might be some truth to that. But uh, whenever we start whining, on the, on the way up the mountain, uh, my, my, favorite, my favorite sermon is the sermon on, on mediocrity. Uh, the word mediocre comes from a Latin, two Latin words, medi and ochre, that means half and mountain. In other words, mediocrity, mediocre means halfway up the mountain. And I, I usually say that when they're whining halfway up the mountain because they know there's no accomplishment halfway up the mountain. There's no story halfway up the mountain. There's certainly no view halfway up the mountain. Man, all that's at the top. You, you got to get to the top for all that. And uh, it usually just inspires them as they watch their dad just <laughs> dribble pearls of wisdom all over them. And... Uh, now, we don't always make it to the top. As a matter of fact, a few days later, we went up, my boys and I, on another climb and, and got to a place where, I mean, we could see the top. It wouldn't, probably wouldn't take us more than 20 or 30 more minutes, but the, the difficulty of, of what was left combined with the weather that was coming in, and then the bigger issue was it, it was late in the day. And we couldn't get up there and, and start to get back down before it got dark, and that, that would not be safe. Now, I'm not saying it'd be safe because it's dark. It's, I'm saying it's not be safe because when we got home, 
mom doesn't like that we do any of this, okay? I'm just going to say it. She's anxious. She's just confident every time we walk out the door, we're going to fall off the mountain or get eaten by something. And, and so she's never excited that we're doing this the moment we walk out the door. And, and if we come back after it has gotten dark, it's just not safe. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's uh, it probably at that point been better to fall off the, the, I'll go on with that. But anyway, uh, so you know what? We didn't make it to the top. We had, we had to turn around and, and uh, you know, we, we just look forward to the, to the next climb. The next climb, we get the stories of going to the top. You know, that's kind of where we are right now, isn't it? The next climb. I mean, here, here we've got a new year out in front of us. What you do realize is just a completely emotional thing. I mean, you know, I mean, from December 31 to January, just 24 hours transpired. That's it. But, but yet it is a new year. And there's just something about coming to a new year that is kind of like a new climb. We, we get to kind of stop and evaluate what's mediocre in our lives. What's only halfway of what we want to be, of what we want to do? Where, where's the areas in our life that, that we want to get to the top? That, that we want to be doing better? That we, we want more? We want that next climb. This time of year really brings us to that. And the exciting thing, the good news, news folks, is God wants that for you. God wants that next climb. He doesn't want for you mediocrity. He wants you to, to make it to the top. He's created you. He's made you so that your work. You, you weren't made broken. As a matter of fact, a verse that, that maybe you wouldn't think I would start this with, but I think it really kind of lays the groundwork. Genesis 2.15 says God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Right there, right in the very beginning is where our work, what we do, began. Now, when you and I see that word work, we tend to think of our vocation, right? Our job, what we do, eight to five, what pays the bills. And that word certainly does include that. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of our work. But that word actually is a little bit bigger, a little bit more encompassing. It doesn't just include our job. It includes the, the work of, of taking care of a home and chores and errands. It includes the work of, of raising a family. It includes the work of being involved in a community. The work of being involved in a church. It's the business of man. It's the business of man that, that we do. What's interesting about that verse about work is that it happens. God put us to work there before the fall. In other words, work was a part of a perfect world. That's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. When you and I think of a perfect world, we're not usually thinking of something that has the word work related to it, right? I I mean, as a matter of fact, our idea of a perfect world would absolutely exclude all of that. And And that's for understandable reasons. Genesis 3 actually explains why you and I no longer relate work to a perfect world. Because in Genesis 3, sin did enter the world. Sin touched and impacted every area of our life. And the scripture actually points to how it touches our work, what we do. Sin introduced sweat. Sin introduced weeds. Frustration. You know what sin did to our work? Sin entered, brought about the possibility that you and I could work and fail. That, that you and I could work and it, and it not profit. That you and I could work and it not accomplish what we needed it to. You ever had a day like that? You worked all day and it just didn't work. Didn't accomplish what you needed. Worked all day and didn't hit save. Praise God for computers. Yeah, we, we can do that. Sin gave us that opportunity, that ability to work and it not count. I'm not saying all of our work, and the scripture doesn't say that all of our work, it says that sin introduced the possibility, the, the, the potential to work and not have it count for anything. 
Now, Solomon comes along in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and carries it a little bit further. I mean, he really has a Johnny Raincloud mentality. And he says, no, I'll go there. All your work, meaningless. All your work, futile, empty. It adds up to nothing. Now, we might say, now, Solomon, that's, that's not true. My, my work's not completely a zero. It doesn't completely add up to nothing. No, I mean, I paid bills this month. I was able to do this or I accomplished that. The work adds up to something. Nope, nope, it doesn't add up to anything. Matter of fact, whatever you think you've accomplished, then you die. And you leave it to somebody that doesn't appreciate your work at all. So just go and have joy with that for a little bit. Wow, Solomon, really? Are you that pessimistic? But you see, Solomon has some insight into that statement that I think we might miss. Because we tend to think about that only in the physical realm. And, And I think what Solomon is pointing to, folks, is not just our physical work has the potential to fail, but our spiritual work does fail. None of our work is going to bring us back into right relationship with God. None of our work is going to get us into heaven. So you could say none of our spiritual work is going to profit us. Ephesians 2.9 says we are not saved by our works. I'm always amazed at the, I think I could almost use the word majority. The majority of people living under the banner of Christianity that are trying to work their way to heaven. They think, I mean, I'm going I'm to attend so many services. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to do this number or this kind of good things. And, and that'll, that'll get me into heaven. That'll, that'll make me right and okay with God. When the Bible so clearly, so consistently from beginning to end says the exact opposite. Our works will not add up. Our works will not save us. They'll fall short. Now, you know, when you hear that, especially if you're trying And I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to go to the service. I'm trying to do this, do that. Well, you can't help but say, wait a minute, why? That's not fair. But the scripture explains why. Explains it very simply and clearly. Ephesians 2.1, you are dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Folks, a spiritually dead person cannot produce anything of spiritual value. And that is why Solomon says, go ahead and lose 10 pounds this year. Read a book a month. Get the promotion. Run a marathon. Get in shape. Go ahead and accomplish all your physical goals. It's all going to add up to a goose egg when you're done. It's all going to be completely worthless and meaningless when you're done. Now, we might look at him and say, boy, you're really pessimistic. But folks, look around the world. Look at people striving and finding, fighting after meaning and purpose and trying to put... Clearly, this is the truth. Folks, a spiritually dead person cannot produce anything of spiritual value any more than a physically dead person can produce something of physical value. But here's our problem. It is the spiritual that gives worth and value and meaning to the physical. So if we have no spiritual life then we're not going to have anything that counts in the physical life. It's ultimately not going to add up to anything there. Our life will mean nothing. Unless, unless God just does something in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're looking at for the next three weeks as we start this new series that we're calling One Life. Because that's what we got, right? You don't get to come back and say, okay, now here's what I learned in the first life. Here's what not to do. Here's what not. No, you got one life to get it. 
You got one life to count, one life to make it work, one life to have an an impact. And folks, that's what God wants for you. That's how he's created you and designed you. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to try to get the big picture that that this is what God has for us. And then next week and the week after that, we're going to come back and look at how we live a life that counts, how we live a life that impacts. And we're going to look at inside our home, inside our community, and then inside our, are you ready for this, world. You are to have an impact on the world. Most of us have set our goals, set our sights way too short, way too small. Folks, God wants your life to be having an impact on the entire planet. But we got to come back and see that this is indeed what God has for us. So let's see how we can unwrap that today. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If you can't reach it, it's there on the row. Somebody will hand it to you. Just point to it down the row. They'll get the idea. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, it's it's more than halfway through your New Testament. If you're thumbing through there, you get past uh, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, you'll hit Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says there, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created for that, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Now, there are a couple key words there for us to to grab a hold of. The first word is the word his. Now, Now, the word his doesn't take a lot of time to interpret and understand. We know what his means. The reason I point out that word, because in the grammar of that phrase, the emphasis is on the word his. You are, I am his workmanship. I am his craftsmanship. You are his artwork. In other words, folks, we didn't put ourselves here. We we didn't put ourselves here. We didn't design ourselves. We didn't design life. We didn't design the good that we could be or we didn't design the good that we could do. That's all by his design. He designed us. He created us to live meaningful and purposeful lives. Folks, the product of your existence is not just existence. It's something good, something of value. Boy, as you look around in your classroom, as you look around at work, as you look around, do you think that's what people are experiencing? A wonderful, meaning, valuable life? No, usually they're clawing and fighting for, you know, trying to think about something like that. No, we don't get there. Now, we already explained part of the problem. It's sin. Sin introduced the weeds. Sin introduced the stress, the the work, it not quite adding up. But sin did more than that. Sin tainted our work. Sin tainted everything we do with selfishness. You see, without Christ, without grace, look at Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are saved. I'm not saved. You're not saved. We are not saved by the good that we are, the good that we do, what we're hoping to be, what we're trying to do. We're not saved by that. We're saved by grace. Now I'm going to talk in a second more about what grace frees us up from. But what we are bound to now without grace, we're bound in kind of a payback mentality. We're always trying to to get payback. We're always trying to earn. And because of that, there is, and I'm about to suggest about a pretty much as a pessimistic view of man as you'll probably have ever heard. Because I actually believe that without grace, you and I don't do anything that's good. Not on the inside. 
what's driving the good that we do on the outside and the good that people may applaud us for, but what's driving that is selfishness. Because without grace, I'm trying to work my way into heaven. I'm not doing this out of love for God. I'm not doing this out of your good. I am doing this. And folks, I don't mean to be crass here. I'm doing this to save my own rear end. I'm doing this for my own benefit. I'm trying to get my way into heaven. And this is the rules. I understand that that's how that works. So I'm working to get my way into heaven. I'm working to appease my guilt. I'm working to get your applause. I'm working to get your approval. I'm working to get awards. Folks, I believe that of Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the Pope, your grandma, the kindest person you know. Without grace, we're in a payback mentality. We're constantly trying to earn for me. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I buy that. I just think it's a little over the top. Okay, well, let's think about that. Let me use your life to prove it. Come on up here. I'm going to just point this out to everybody. No, I don't come up here. You know what? I'm going to assume that you are a loving person. You're an absolutely loving person. You're an absolutely good person. So let's talk for a moment about how good and loving you are. Let's just think back over the last month. Who have you loved the most? Think, think about it, your mind. Names, faces. Who have you loved the most? Who have you shown the most love to? Who have you done loving things for? You got some faces in your mind? I'll tell you who you did it for. You did it for people who are going to love you back. You love who you're going to get it back from. Oh, that's not true. I love people who don't love me. Not for long. No, you don't. Not for long, you don't. And not often do you do that. And do you know when we love people who don't love us? When we're trying to appease our own guilt. When we're trying to work our way up into heaven. Folks, we love those for whom what? We're going to get something back. Same thing with goodness. You're a good person. You do good things. Who for? Those who are going to do good back. I said, that, that's not true. I, I can give you examples of, you know, I, I did this, I went here, I, did, I knew they weren't going to be able to do anything back. I knew they wouldn't do anything back. I didn't do that to get anything back from them. Okay, you know what? I'll go with your thought for a moment. You, you are, you, you did, you, you went down to that soup kitchen, you gave to that person, you, you did this and just did it out of the goodness of your heart. Folks, for every one act that you and I have like that, and, and that's assuming that there actually is a goodness of your heart. For every one act like that, you have a thousand acts that are driven by nothing but your selfishness. Driven nothing by what do I get out of this? What comes back to me in this? So, so, you know, not only are we spiritually dead and a spiritually dead person can't produce anything of spiritual value, but our goodness isn't that good. It's mostly driven by selfishness. But, but there is grace. There is an opportunity for you, to, you and I to break out of this payback mentality because Ephesians 2.8 says that there is grace there. So now I don't have to fight and claw and work my way into heaven. God's given me that as a gift. I'm not, I'm not being nice to you to earn God's favor. I'm not being nice to you because I was mean to you. And if I'm nice to you, I hope God will forgive me for being mean to you. And hoping this all balances out in the ledger somewhere. No, folks, God has freely and fully given me his love, his forgiveness, his acceptance. I, I have all that. So now when I go out to sing praise to God or a moment ago we gave to God, I'm not doing that hoping I can get something. God, I did that. Did you see me give? 
So now, you, God, you need to answer my prayer. No, I'm not in a bargaining mode with God anymore. I'm not in a, in a payback mentality. I can freely and genuinely do this because I've already got everything. He's already given me everything. And when I establish it that way with God, then you're able to begin moving in that relationship more with people. It is grace that frees us up that breaks us out of this payback mentality. And that grace was purchased, that grace was bought for you, for me, at the cross. Where Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin. Paid the penalty for the selfishness and the wrong. And he bought for you and I that grace. He bought for you and I the opportunity to be born again. Remember what we said our big problem was? Spiritually we're dead. It is the cross that provides the opportunity for you and I. We've had a physical birth But to be born again, to have a spiritual birth. For that part of me that relates with God, that part of me that can live valuably spiritually, to come back to life. It's Jesus that gives us that, to gives us a life. So we go from having a life that's not going to count for anything because we're dead, to having a life that can count for everything. Everything we do can now count. Now look back there again at Ephesians 2.10. It says that these good works were created beforehand. In other words, you and I don't have to... Let's see, let's see. What would be good? Okay, what would God consider good? I I need to come up with some good... No, folks, God created the good. God's already designed the good. All you and I have to do is walk in them. That's a key word for Paul, the word walk. And it just simply means life, live. Live in these good works that God has created for you. And Ephesians 4 through 6 kind of unwraps what that walk looks like. You're going to see that word walk appear over and over uh, in Ephesians 4 through 6. And in chapter 4, the walk, guess where it starts? Guess where the good works begin? Inside us. You see, now that that selfishness is gone, we've got to rebuild that character. It's the character of good works. And so Ephesians 4, you're going to see, it's going to talk about being honest and truthful, being, being self-controlled. Man, we control anger. We control this tongue. Boy, this tongue can do some awful things. This tongue can also do some very good works. You, you, you flip a few pages over, you see in Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Folks, that's about a whole lot more than just don't cuss. Let no one hold some, or don't let any word come out that tears. Well, I don't know about y'all folks. I've I've had more than one word come out of my mouth recently. It didn't build anything. It didn't build that moment. It didn't build a situation. It didn't build a person. It tore down. It stirred up. It created more problem. That's a good work is being careful that every word that comes out builds. We're in the building business, right? That's what we are as believers. We're in the building business. We build through our words. Ephesians 4 shows us love. It shows us forgiveness. So Ephesians 4 kind of talks about the character of the good work. The heart of the good work. And then in Ephesians 5 and 6, it says, okay, now that I've got this character, let's take this character and let's live it. Let's live it. And he goes through almost every relationship in our life. He says, hey, what's a good work look like in a wife? What's a good work look like in a husband? What about in parents? What about in children? What about in a boss? What about in employees? And we start to see in every relationship in our life how this good work, how this character comes out. And what we begin to see, folks, is that good works are not an event. <laughs> don't, don't, I mean, think about it. Don't we tend to, tend to treat good works as an event? Okay, I'm going to stop living for myself for 30 seconds. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do something good. 
boom, I've done it. Okay, I'm back to now living over here. I mean, we treat good work as something we go over there and do. No, it's the way we live. Here's a good work. Here's the definition of good works, folks. It's living out the good that God has done in me. It is living out in your, my relationship with you, whether you are my wife or my kids or my parents or who I work with or a stranger or a friend or the, the person at this store. Wherever, wherever I go in life, a good work is living out the good that God has done in me in your life. Now, what has God done in me? God's loved. God's forgiven. God's provided. God's protected. God's guiding. All this is work that God has done in me. So I take that work and I give it out. I can keep giving it out because God's got more than I need and I don't need you to pay me back because God's already taken care. You see now, I'm no longer in the payback mentality. I no longer have to wonder, are you gonna do what you're supposed to do? I'm trying to do what I'm supposed, I don't have to live that way. What you're supposed to do is between you and God. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to live out the good that God has done in me in your life. However that shows that self tomorrow or Thursday or with a stranger or with the person you're with the most. You live out that good work. Let me boil it down to one word. We live out the gospel. What's the gospel, folks? It's good news. It's love and it's forgiveness, not based on what you can do for me, not based on what you last did for me, not based on whether you deserve it or not, because God's not treating me that way. I'm living out the gospel. When we are born again, the gospel becomes our DNA. The gospel becomes the way we live and relate with others. Uh, Now, for this to happen, for this to happen in my life, to be born again, to have that DNA, Jesus says, you've got to go through me. Only through me can you get, can't go through another person, can't go through another religion. That, folks, when I say that, you're not interacting with what Randy Hahn said. You're not interacting with what this church or this denomination believes. You have to interact. What did Jesus actually say, the words out of his mouth? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, nobody on this planet will ever come to God except through me. Whether you buy that or not, understand you're not interacting with me. You're interacting with what Jesus said. So if you want to be born again, you've got to go through Jesus. If you want that grace to begin driving and operating your life, you've got to go through Jesus. He's where we begin. Let me, one more verse. We'll start to wrap this up. One passage that kind of explains this. Go back to your left. Galatians, you'll be in 2 Corinthians. Get to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. One more passage. Kind of pull all this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11. Now, if you were to read verses 9 and 10, which I'm not, and so I'm assuming you're not, uh, you're going to find he's talking about an illustration of building. And then he gets to verse 11 and he says, Because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. In other words, until you lay a foundation, you don't have a building. Are you all with me on that? I'm not an engineer, but I got that. If you don't have a foundation, you've got no building. So to talk about a building or to try to construct a building when there is no foundation, that would be called a what? A waste. That's meaningless. It's going to fall over. It's not going to work. You've got to have a foundation. No foundation, no building. Now watch how he brings the illustration over. If you've got no foundation, you've got no building. If you have no Christ, you have no life. You might be existing on the planet... You might be 30, 40, 50 years old, 
You might be well accomplished academically, athletically, relationally, financially, or whatever other L-Y you want to be accomplished in. But you've got no foundation. You've got no life. It's all meaningless. It's going to fall over. It will count for nothing. No foundation, no building. No Christ, no life. You have, that's where life begins. For some of us in here, that life began when we were five years old. For others, maybe it was 12. For me, it was 17. Somebody else, it might have been 27, something 32, 48. But when you start thinking about verse 11, I, I think whatever age you are, if that foundation hadn't been laid, you've got to be asking yourself, man, I'm wasting life. I, I'm burning days. I'm burning weeks. I, hey, another year just passed. I just burned another year. I just have another year that counted for absolutely nothing because I don't have the foundation. I've not laid the foundation of Christ. Nothing I do counts. But if you have the foundation of Christ, everything you do counts. You've got the foundation in Christ and now you begin to build a life. And that's what verse 12 goes on to say. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. We're all going to find out one day what we built in our relationship with Christ. You know, I think sometimes in Christianity, aren't we kind of guilty of reducing Christianity to nothing more than a decision? Have you made a decision for the Lord? Have you come to the Lord? It, we, it, and that's a pretty big decision. It's the most important decision. It's the beginning. But that's what it is. The beginning. It's not the end. And we kind of tend to, well, yeah, I, I made that decision. Yeah, I did that in my life. But for, it's, it's, it goes beyond just making a decision. You build on that decision. You're going to build and it's going to become evident what you built. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. Now the fire being talked about here is not the fire of hell. The, the, the judgment here of our lives is not a, okay, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. It's not talking about that. This is a judgment that just believers go through. Everybody in this judgment is in heaven. As a matter of fact, if you fail miserably, if your life goes into that fire and nothing comes back out to be rewarded on, you're still in heaven. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 talks about a life that went in. They built nothing on that relationship with Christ. Nothing came out, but they're still in heaven. But what happens is our life goes in that fire and this fire would be called a refining fire. It burns away. It burns away because even as a believer, I've been disobedient. So it burns away the disobedience. It burns away the things I did and I shouldn't have. It burns away the things I should have done, but I didn't do. But look what else that phrase says. It will test the quality of each person's work. You see, folks, the issue is not just what did I do, but rather it's the quality. What was going on in my heart haven't we all, as a matter of fact, I'd say probably every one of us in here, we've done it in the last week. We've done it in the last two weeks. Haven't we all done the right thing? But we did it with a nasty attitude. We did the right thing, but we did it with a wrong motive. And we do that all the time, folks. Guess what? That worked. Now, it might have been good. It might have been the right work. You might have seen me. Oh, look how good Randy is. Boy, he is. That's a good work and he's a good person. Well, that good work that made you applause, when it goes into the refining fire, it burns. It, I get no reward from that. Why? Because I was doing it for the applause. I was doing it to be noticed. I did it. Well, did the right thing, but I had a nasty attitude about it. Get, see, the quality. God cares about what's going on in here as much as he does some work that comes out of that. That makes sense? Folks, God wants to reward you. 
He's given you, he's put you on this earth to work. He didn't make you broken. He didn't make you inefficient. He he gave you a life that would produce and that would would be effective and would have have value. And then even said, and I'll reward you for it. He's going to reward me for the works he designed. (laughs) He's going to reward me for the good works he gave me. He's going to reward me for that. But it all begins on that relationship with Christ. Now, many of us in here, we are born again. We have laid that foundation, and I'm going to apply this message the next two weeks. We're going to come back to, okay, how do I live out the gospel? How do I live out grace in my home, in my community, in the world? But today, in closing, I want to focus on one thing. There can't be anything more irrelevant than to talk about a building that has no foundation. We we can't go on from here and start talking about how to build life in Christ if we have not laid the foundation and we do not have life in Christ. So let me ask you a simple question today. Are you born again? It's a yes, no question. It's not a kind of, sort of, I think maybe, I think maybe in process. It's a yes or no question. Either you're born again and you have spiritual life and your life is counting for something or no, you're not born again and your life's not counting for anything. Jesus would say today, let's take care of that today. Not just because it's the new year. Not just because I don't want you to to waste the year ahead. Folks, the time and the opportunity to respond to the Lord is always right this moment. I began reading through uh, uh, every year. I've been doing this probably for 20 years now. Every every year I do a a through the Bible in a year reading plan. You should do that too. It's only January 6th. You can get caught up. Start this afternoon. Read the Bible through a year. So I'm in, I got a, I got a reading plan where I'm a, I do a little bit in the old, a little bit in the new, a Psalm, a Proverb. So I was in Genesis, I'm in Matthew, so in Matthew chapter 4, and, and Jesus, he walks up to the uh, Peter, James, and John, and they're fishing, and they're working the nets there, and Jesus says, come follow me. I've always been blown, my whole life, every time I read this passage, I've been blown away by it, because it, what it says Peter and James and John do next, it says they drop their nets, and they, y'all know the word? Immediately, immediately they begin to follow him. Folks, if you need to be born again, do you know when you need to take care of that? immediately. Why would you take another step in your life knowing this step counts for nothing? As I walk to my car, it counts for nothing. As I start a new week, it counts for nothing. Who in their right mind would take that step? Jesus says, let's fix it. Let's take care of that. Let's get you born. Let's get you a life that counts. Are you born again? Let today be the day that you're born again. In a moment, our congregation is going to stand and sing. We're going to have pastors down here. It's a time of invitation. We invite you to be born again. Come forward and tell one of these pastors, I don't even know if I know what he's fully talking about, but I think I need that. Or I know I need that. Come forward and say, man, I want to be born again. Let us pray with you, talk with you about, just for a moment, about how that can happen in your life. Today is the day for you to be born again. Today is the day for you to begin living out what God has done, what God wants to do in your life. Amen?